Welcome to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You're tuned in to the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm your host, Laura Bellotta, singleinthecity.ca. And back in the studio with me, show regular comedian Peter Anthony. How are you this week, Laura? I'm good. I got a bit of a cold. Oh, you sound good though. Yeah, I haven't I seen you in a couple of weeks. It's it's been a while. It's been a while. You look you look you don't look ill. You look great. So well, thank you very much. You're so welcome you. very much. Although thank you. Although you haven't slept till I I had a bad morning. I, I I had a bad sleep last night, but let's just leave it at that. Okay, we're gonna have a great show. <laughs> and I'm so- angry about it. That segues nicely into. <laughs> have you ever lashed out or said or did something really negative to someone that you didn't mean? Anger is a powerful negative emotion. It may have destructive results for you and for those closest to you. Uncontrolled anger can lead to depression, arguments, physical fights, physical abuse, assault, and self-harm. On the other hand, well-managed anger can be a useful emotion that motivates you to make positive changes. Joining us today to offer us tips on how to manage your mind and your heart with the ultimate goal being a life of success, happiness within yourself and your relationships is UC Berkeley trained coach with a PhD in educational psychology, Dr. John Schinnerer, founder of Guide to Self and award-winning author of How Can I Be Happy? He coaches primarily male clients to peak performance from the boardroom to the bedroom with the ultimate goal for people to be successful and happy at home and at work. Dr. John, welcome to the show. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me. Today. Yeah, thanks for coming in. You were also one of the three experts to consult with Pixar on the Academy Award winning movie Inside Out. Yes, I was. That was a great honor. Yeah. And exciting as all get out. That must have been a, an amazing experience. So, John, tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and how did you choose this occupation? So, when I was growing up, um, <laughs> I used to be smart and I was an overachiever. And, uh, you know, senior year in high school, I was doing everything that the adults t- around me told me to do to be, quote, successful. So I was student body president, I was captain of three varsity teams, I was taking advanced classes. So from the outside looking in, it looked like I was just killing it. From the inside, I felt depressed part of the time, I was irritable, I was stressed, I was getting sick frequently. And it really caused me to look at what is this idea called success? Because for me, there was no room in there for happiness or contentment or relaxation. I was just working my ass off. And so I started at the age of 17 kind of questioning this idea of success. Fast forward, I got into a PhD program at Cal. um, And my passion has always been the emotional side of the mind, partly because that's been my biggest challenge. Um, You know, I know that the, the dumbest, most embarrassing, most shameful things I've done in my life were when my emotional mind was in charge of me when I was angry or sad or excited or bored or stressed, that's when I would do things where later I would look back and go, why the hell did I do that? And, and I couldn't really get a very good handle on it. These things, these emotions would just kind of come up seemingly out of the blue and kind of take me out at the knees. So I started looking at emotions back probably 30 years ago when there was no research about emotion pretty much at all. Um, And I just started getting more and more into it. Um, I became a school psychologist for a period of time. The best part of my job was seeing the students. I would counsel them. They would come in and share these really heavy stories that were filled with 
fear, anger, guilt, shame. And I didn't know it at the time, but emotions are contagious. So you can pick them up from other people if you're not trained to do otherwise. So that ended up with me becoming depressed. You know, my back went out because when you get depressed, inflammation goes up in your body. That happens to me and all the time. Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah. yeah, the inflammation goes up in your body. The immune system gets compromised. So you often get sick during or afterwards. And it's different um, for everybody, right? Like whatever body part uh, there's, it there's wants to attack. Because sometimes it's my stomach. Yeah, and, and I think for the physiological cues can vary quite a bit. Um, but there are themes, there are commonalities. Um, and, and so, you know, I remember I'm, I'm laying on the floor, I'm in pain, I'm depressed. I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. Like, if I can't manage my own emotions, how can I teach them to? So I, I made a conscious decision laying on the floor that I'm going to find the best scientifically proven tools to manage that darker side of the mind mainly fear, anger, sadness, and all its variations. And, and it worked. I mean, for a while I had a bunch of tools that I could teach to clients, but that was more the traditional psychology viewpoint because psychology for 100 years has looked at how are we broken and how do we fix that? It's looked at how do we take people from negative five to zero, from miserable to surviving. And, you know, I think that's an important part of the picture, but it's not nearly adequate. And so about 15 years ago, I started getting into positive psychology, which is at its most basic, it's the scientific study of happiness. It's how do we find more passion in life? How do we get more engaged? How do we play to our strengths? How do we cultivate more positive emotions? What is happiness? What is the good life? And now I had these tools to kind of turn down the volume on the negative and turn up the volume on the positive. And I was like, wow, this is really powerful. But John, it's not and possible so to be happy all the time, is it? Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And, and I think part of it is a, a big part of happiness. I mean, there's a bunch of this. There's a bunch to the question of what is happiness, but a big part of it is being comfortable with whatever you're feeling in the moment. So there's a, a piece of mindfulness that talks about allowing whatever's arising to arise in the moment without judgment. And it's the without judgment piece that is so critical because I look at people and we and, and I used to do this too, I would get in these negative emotional loops. So for instance, let's say um, I'm angry with my son, I lose my temper, I say something mean and hurtful, and then I feel guilty about it. And then I start beating myself up over it. And then I get sad about what I said. And then I feel guilty. And you just kind of go in these negative emotional spirals, which if you can go, okay, yeah, I, I got upset. And, and if you can stop it there, great. If you can stop it after you say something hurtful, if you can stop it there, that's even better than going into the negative emotional spiral. Hey, John, we need to take a break. We'll be right back. You're tuned okay. into the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. We are back. You're tuned into the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. We are talking about anger and how it impacts our personal lives and relationships. We have Dr. John Schinnerer on the line. He teaches male clients to peak performance from the boardroom to the bedroom. And my show regular today is comedian Peter Anthony. And hey, uh, you have a question for John. I did. I was listening to John talk in our first segment, and I have something very similar to happen in my lifetime. Earlier, when I was probably around 19 or 20, 
uh, I would describe it as just a massive inner conflict that led to depression, that led to just me changing the course of my life in terms of who I was and especially the path I was going towards in terms of my profession. And I just wanted to ask John if he thought, is it possible to become emotionally mature and to, um, I guess, overcome reactions to emotions in a negative way without going through a conflict like that? Without, like, do we have to go through a depression or sadness or a major conflict before we actually realize that we have to, uh, we have to be more mature with our, our choices and what we're doing emotionally with ourselves? Yeah, thanks for the question, Peter. I think it's an excellent question. And to answer your question, I would say absolutely. I think that if we're curious about emotional awareness, if we're curious about emotional management skills, if we're motivated in that direction, we absolutely can become better at it because all these are just learnable skills. Now, I would also say that at the same time, that most of us are primarily motivated by pain. So it seems that for most of us, it takes pain in order to kind of wake us up and say, oh my God, I need to work in this direction. The same as an addiction, right, John? Yeah, I think it, you know, it's human nature that mm-hmm. we're, we're more motivated by pain than we are to pursue pleasure. Hitting rock it's just bottom, a powerful of motivator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that's certainly my, my experience. That, that was exactly what was going on. I was just, it was just became to a, got to a point where I just couldn't actually function as a human anymore because I was just so depressed. So I had to I had to make a conscious choice to you know be vocal about it, uh, confront it head on, talk about it, and deal with it. And it's great that you were able to make that choice because some people just live with that depression and don't make a choice. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, and Peter, I thought that that was just part of your job description as comedian. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's <laughs> the sad clown, right? Deal? <laughs> yeah, it's ex- it, that's exactly it. But I mean, certainly in, in the arts or in the performance world, there's a lot of people that are dealing with a lot of heavy and deep emotions and a lot of pain. So I've met several people that uh, that have been through something similar. Well, yeah, and and Peter, here's the good news. I mean, I think when I was younger, I used to see myself as a fish out of water. In other words, a male that felt things deeply. And, you know, I've worked with thousands of men since then. And what I've realized is the vast majority of us feel things deeply. There's no difference in the intensity with which we feel things between us and females. The difference is in how we're socialized. We're, we're brought up, we're ridiculed, mocked, and humiliated if we show any certain emotions when we're growing up. At, I mean, and we find that these get turned off around the age of five for men. Yeah, no, I, I, totally, I totally agree. And as someone that has an quote-unquote old-school father, uh, that, that's mm-hmm. absolutely true of how I was brought up and socialized. Although, I'll say this, he has softened uh, as my generation has become more and more uh, intact to being a, a guy that's okay to show emotions or be I emotional. Think a lot of our, the lot of our parents have, have softened yes. up. Yes, I not, they have. John, mm-hmm. I don't know if, that's, if you've noticed that too. Well, I remember coming home from college and I had to teach my parents to hug. <laughs> and, and they're good people. I mean, they're they're. Wait a minute! They people. made you. They must have learned to hug at some point. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember saying, "Well, you know, I I need you to tell me that you love me." And they're like, "We thought you knew." Right. Right. And, you know, I don't I don't mean to bash them. Again, they're very outstanding people. But you know, emotionally, this just wasn't part of that generation. And and that's part of the fascinating part of this conversation. I think that you know. 
I think since the 1970s, and I think it starts with the women's uh, lib movement, that you know, women began moving into the workforce, they began gaining economic freedom, political power, more independence, and then the, the, the expectations for relationships started shifting, and pretty fast, and they started insisting on greater levels of communication, more support from their spouse, more emotional awareness. The problem is nobody ever told us men that, and no one ever trained us to meet those expectations. So the job description for married men just changed fast. John, you mentioned it's difficult for men to be evolved in this day and age. How would you mm-hmm. describe an evolved man? I would say an evolved man has a, a beautiful combination of the masculine and the feminine as we've traditionally defined them. So I would say they're courageous, they're confident, they're successful at work, they're physically fit, and they're communicative, they're supportive, they have the ability to be emotionally vulnerable, they're aware of how they feel, and they can communicate that to their spouse. And why is it difficult for men to be evolved in this day and age? Because we're just not brought up that way. I mean, you know, I'll tell my my male clients, look, I can effectively eliminate two-thirds of the emotional spectrum for you with two phrases. So if you think about growing up, elementary school, middle school, high school, you know, when you would show too much, let's say, joy, love, excitement, almost inevitably someone would say something like, stop being so gay. If you showed too much fear, too much sadness, someone would say, stop being such a And it could be your dad, it could be a coach, but it was definitely one of your friends or a peer. And, and we, you know, it's called the act like a man box. So there's certain ways that we're supposed to act if we're a man. And as soon as we step out of that box, someone will slap us with an insult. And if you're a fast learner, you're like, holy crap, like, I don't like the way that feels. I'm not doing that again. And then what it leaves us with as men is it leaves us with anger to some degree, maybe stress because there's some pride in saying I'm, I'm stressed out, I work so hard, or nothing, the mask, the 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 facade that we don't feel anything at all. And that's what we've had the majority of our lives since the age of five on. And then, you know, we get into a relationship with women now, and women are like, why can't you share with me how you feel? John, we're going to talk about that. I actually want to talk about how being overly masculine can harm a relationship or finding a date. When we come back on the Dating and Relationship Show, stay with us. Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. We are back. You're tuned into the Dating and Relationship Show. I'm Laura Bellotta, singleinthecity.ca. My show regular today, comedian Peter Anthony. You're the and emotionally mature Laura, Laura Bellotta. I am. Yeah. You're, you're, to- you're not an angry person. Uh, I can be. You can be? I can be at times, but then until I, I really, I think we all can be angry, yeah. right, John? Like we can all be angry. It's just how you Absolutely. deal with your anger. Most most people, it's road rage. I've noticed. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, they can't control their emotions yeah, if right. they're inside a car. You know, I had a recent situation where I was angry with a friend because we were we had been friends for many many years, and she decided to just end the friendship over miscommunication. And instead of talking to me about it, she just decided to end the friendship, which got me really angry to a point now where she still kind of lashes out. And I've decided instead of getting angry, I'm just going to I'm disappointed, but I'm just going to ignore it. Is that? A good way to go about it, John, is to just ignore the situation. Instead of getting angry, 
just learn how to deal with it by just walking away from it. If it causes too much drama in your life, I've just decided to do that. What's your, yeah, what are your thoughts I, on I that? Think it depends. It depends on the circumstances, and, and there's a lot of variables at work here, but I think that learning how to kind of consciously disengage from situations or people, I mean, I, you know, often I'll tell people that if you're both getting upset, there's no point in yelling at each other because the way anger works is anger wants to externalize blame and put it on the other person. Right. So, and then what you're trying to do is get them to understand that you're right, they're wrong, and get them to acquiesce and say, oh my God, you are so right. I don't know what I was thinking. I am so sorry. And that's never going to happen. But what if you explain your situation and this person still doesn't want to hear it? And basically you're in the wrong, they're in the right, but and they're still accusing you. I mean, what do you do in that situation? Well, I, I think ideally you want to speak about it calmly and be able to come at it from Tried that. a perspective of curiosity. And, you know, where you're trying to figure out where they're coming from as much as they're trying to figure out where you're coming from. And to be okay with the fact that you may not agree, you may not see eye to eye, you might have different perspectives, and that's almost to be expected. But, you know, to respect the other person's perspective is key. I guess when someone's attacking you, it's hard to do, right? Yeah, and I think we run into a lot of people in this day and age that don't have those skills at all. We call them narcissists. Oh, yeah, I love those those (laughs) people. Yeah, they're not fun to be around. They're not (laughs) fun to be in fights with. You know, I would say, you know, that's about 14% of the population that are either narcissists or borderlines. Based on how many people take selfies, I'd say even more than that, John. No, just because you take <laughs> well, selfies does not mean that you are a narcissist, Peter. Anthony. I want to go back. Now, Lori, the you, person who doesn't have social media, oh, sorry, he has Twitter. Yeah, just Twitter. I, I want to go back to what Laura was talking about, um, being being emotionally um, uh, evolved in, in a relationship between a man and All a woman. Right. And we, we kind of touched on it before break, and I just wanted yeah, to pick so back up there. What are some of the ways that being overly masculine can harm a relationship or finding a date? Well, okay, so I think it works well for those guys in finding dates. I think there's part of us that's very primitive and atavistic that, you know, women like powerful masculine men. They like square jawlines. They like symmetrical faces. They like, you know, muscled bodies. Um, but I don't think it works very well generally for long-term relationships. Now I'm making some stereotypes and generalizations about hypermasculine men in that, you know, I, I think there are some hypermasculine men that do have some of the qualities that we're talking about, emotional awareness, communication, support, that kind of thing. Um, but the problem is that, you know, relationships don't typically end due to a, like one major issue, like an affair. Relationships normally end due to thousands of tiny paper cuts, those little hurts, the insults, the dismissals, disrespects, and these cuts accumulate over time and they lead to disengagement. They lead to a turning away. They, they lead to one or both people feeling deep resentment and even an unwillingness to try to engage with, with one another because they're so afraid of getting hurt again. And I would say anger is at the heart of these cuts. And realize when I say anger, I'm looking at anger on a one to 10 scale in terms of intensity. So, you know, consider all the varying degrees of anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, rage, disappointment, disgust, contempt, and so on. And, and so I, I think that's part of where these guys struggle is that they, you know, I've, I've heard guys say, well, love me as I am. And it's like, well, that's not sufficient. You say like a thousand paper cuts, and I agree with you, can, will destroy, eventually destroy the relationship. But is that why 
you have to be pretty vocal about the things that are bothering you or bugging you, regardless of how small they might be? Absolutely. I think that's where the communication comes in. You know, hey, baby, it really hurt my feelings when you came home late to dinner. Yeah, and I uh, suck. Hey, I like, suck at that. I'm that's I'm the worst at that because I feel guilty whenever, like, if I say, "Hey, I don't like, I don't like the way you clip your toenails with the door open." Like, I feel <laughs> bad if I say that to her. <laughs> 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 this is why I'm single, Laura. I'm telling you. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and I think you're, but I think you're right, Peter. I think that part of it is dealing with our own discomfort in speaking up for what we need, and that takes practice. That's a good point. Now, why is it so important to forgive and make peace with these feelings, John? The feelings of anger. Because I, I think if, if you don't make peace with them, if you don't find ways to deal with them constructively, they'll come out and bite you in the ass. I, you know, I, I find a lot of people, I, a lot of men that I deal with that are explosively angry, it's not that one thing happens and they just go volcanic. It's that there's these little accumulations of hurts, irritations, annoyances that well up in them, and they don't know the skill of being appropriately assertive and speaking up for each little hurt. And so they accumulate, and then over time, kind of like filling a bucket with drops of water, something will eventually happen that is the one drop that leads to the bucket overflowing, and then they lose their temper. And then it's, that's it. We're done. (laughs) And the funny thing is, then we're usually yelling at the wrong person, wrong time, wrong degree, in the wrong manner. John, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. Talking about anger in our relationships on the Dating and Relationship Show. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back. You're tuned into the Dating and Relationship Show. What a great show. We have Dr. John Schinner, who teaches male clients to peak performance from the boardroom to the bedroom on the line. And comedian Peter Anthony is my show regular in studio with us. I want to talk now uh, about maybe if you can offer us some suggestions on how to express our anger in healthy ways. Sure. And, and let me because I think there's two different questions there. One is, you know, how do you deal with it or learn to deal with it? If you're in a relationship, how do you deal with it if you're on your own? So let me speak to the relationship part, because I I think it's important for both people in a relationship to make a conscious decision to work towards becoming more skilled at anger, expressing anger, emotional awareness. Right, because you wrote a blog and you had the three best tools to deal with anger in your relationship. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so go ahead. Yeah, and and I think that, you know, we're under the mistaken belief that we get into a relationship because we love someone and that's enough. And, you know, that's not enough. Love is only the first step. Love is not sufficient for a happy, thriving relationship. I mean, look at the divorce rate. We're at, you know, 50% roughly. And how many of those that survive are truly happy? I actually read an article last week where they said millennials are changing that. They're staying right. married longer. So hopefully that changes. Well, sorry. That's, just, that's because fewer of them are getting married. So the ones that do get yeah. married stay together <laughs> yeah. longer. Okay, sorry, John. Sorry to interject. And they're waiting longer to get married. So that's part of it, too. So they're more self-aware. Um, so, I mean, think if you, know, you had had that thought about your career, like, I was hired at 25. I was passionate about my work then. Isn't that enough? Now I'm 45. And have I needed to learn any new skills in that last 20 years in order to be successful at work? So it's, you know, I look at it as skill building. Um, but to your question, to, 
in terms of how to turn down your own anger, I think the foundational tool is mindfulness. And, you know, I know probably most of your listeners have heard a lot about mindfulness. Why does it matter? It matters because we spend so much time in the past and the future mentally. And, and we know that a mind that wanders is generally a more miserable mind. We also know that if you're not here in the present moment, you've got no chance to figure out how you're actually feeling. So you have no chance to deal with anger effectively. So in, in essence, you become your anger's plaything, to put it politely. So your anger's using you and you're not even aware of it. You know, I, one of the things I talk about is that between the time you have a trigger and the time you feel anger, you have a third of a second which doesn't sound like much time, but it's actually a time to ha insert a thought or two between those two. And the goal is to spread that out and give yourself more and more time with practice. So mindfulness is a way to train our mind. Uh, it leads to less anger, anxiety, depression, more frequent positive emotions. But more importantly, it helps us know immediately what's going on in our body so we can actually tell what it is we're feeling. Then once we know how we feel, we can put a label on it. I'm starting to get annoyed. And we know from studies that the simple act of labeling how we feel helps us turn down how intense it is. Is there anything unhealthy, John, about not allowing the release of an emotion like anger? Uh, it, like, I, I, I do agree with mindfulness to be uh, aware of, of what emotional state we're in at any given time and to be present. But is there anything physically or unhealthy about not releasing a pent-up emotion? Um, well, I think that the problem with not releasing it is that, that it accumulates over time. Right. And so to me, the, the ideal is, you know, your, let's say your husband comes home from work or your wife comes home, home from work and, or let's say you come home from work and you're tired and exhausted and your, your wife starts in saying, you know, when's dinner going to be ready? How come the house is such a mess? And, you know, if you're present, you tune into your body, you sense your muscle tension increasing in your neck and your shoulders, your okay, my heart rate's going up a little bit, my jaw's tense, my blood's going to my fists, and I realize, okay, I'm, I'm starting to get annoyed. Is that and a male I, thing, yeah. my blood's going to my fists? <laughs> Your blood well, going in other places is a male thing. thing. Most people. I mean, because anger at its core is preparing us to attack. Right. right. I mean, that's the, the evolutionary purpose of anger. And, and so, you know, to realize in the moment I'm getting annoyed and then speak up and say, you know what, hey, baby, I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit frustrated. Uh, I feel a little bit unappreciated. I just got home from work. I'm tired. Can I just, you know, sit a moment and rest? That's a great so way that's to deal the with ideal. it. And, you know, if you can get the hang of that, you can let the anger go in the moment and then you don't have to worry about it accumulating. Um, the other thing to consider is that anger is often a secondary emotion, which means that anger follows on the heels of other emotions. And again, we're talking that third of a second. So anger can follow feelings of embarrassment or hurt or abandonment or feeling ignored or taken for granted. And, you know, now whenever I get angry, the first question I ask myself is, okay, were my feelings hurt? And 90% of the time, because I tend to feel things deeply, the answer is yes. And that simple realization leads to completely different conversations. In other words, if I start a conversation with my partner and say, you know what, I'm pissed. It really upsets me when you make plans to go out with your friends and you don't tell me. Versus, hey, sweetheart, you know, it hurts my feelings when you make plans and you don't tell me. It, it makes me feel kind of like I'm not that important to you. It also leaves me in the lurch to make last-minute plans. Those are two very different conversations that will have two very different outcomes. 
We need to take a break, John. We'll be right back. What a great conversation here on the Dating and Relationship Show. Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. It's Sunday night. You're tuned in to the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta. My show regular today is comedian Peter Anthony. And we're talking to John Schinnerer. He teaches male clients to peak performance from the boardroom to the bedroom. And we're talking about anger and how it impacts our personal lives and relationships. Now, John, I would assume that anger is something that we are not born with. Anger comes from emotional trauma that we experience in life. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think that that's partially true. I think for some of us, anger can accumulate due to emotional trauma. I think trauma can make us have a hair trigger for anger. I think there are certain core beliefs that we can have, like people aren't trustworthy that can lead to greater anger. And then I I think that there are also um, individuals that are born with a greater predisposition to emotional volatility, and we would call those people personality disorders, so borderlines, narcissists. Um, and there's certain dynamics with those personality disorders that make them deal with emotions and experience emotions a little bit differently. And is there um, treatment for that? Who Medication? Um, the, the medication doesn't really work too much. I mean, you can medicate certain symptoms. Um, so you're saying once narcissist, a narcissist, always a narcissist? Well, narcissists are... Because that's sad. There are a lot of those out there. ...resistant... <laughs> They're, they're resistant to therapy because they, they lack introspective ability and they tend to externalize all problems. It, it's not my deal, it's your deal. You know, you made me angry. If you just hadn't have done that, I wouldn't be angry. And so there's a difficult dynamic there that makes it hard for them to look at themselves honestly and make changes. So you're telling us Trump's not going to change if he gets a second term? <laughs> Trump's not going to change. No, he's not going to change. <laughs> Okay, there's a researcher you speak about named Dr. John Gottman who can tell if a couple will get divorced by watching them talk about their differences for only five minutes. What are some of these indicators, John? Yeah, and and Dr. Gottman's probably the preeminent researcher on relationships in the world. Um, He's done amazing work. And and just, you know, so your listeners know, if you're going to go see a couple's counselor, you want to make sure there's someone that subscribes to scientific research in terms of how they inform their counseling. This would be someone like John Gottman or Sue Johnson, um, maybe Terry Real, but there's not that many couples counselors out there that are basing their work on research, which is a little bit worrisome to me. Um, So anyways, John can watch a video of a couple talking about something unrelated to their marriage for about five minutes, and someone with around 91 to 93% accuracy tell who is headed for divorce. So this is an example of what Malcolm Gladwell talked about with sin slicing. And what John looks for is evidence of contempt. So contempt to me is sort of like anger combined with disgust. And there's a, a hierarchy when you see contempt. So when you have one person in a relationship that's contemptuous of another, it means they're, they've put themselves on another platform, a platform above their partner, and they're sort of looking down at them thinking, I know better than you. At some level, you're kind of an idiot, and you shouldn't be saying that. And contempt is one of the harbingers of divorce. The, the other three are stonewalling, 
which is when you get into an argument and one of the partners just shuts down and refuses to talk. Um, there's criticism, which is going after someone's character rather than their behaviors. So, for instance, let's say your partner isn't good about putting the dirty dishes in the dishwasher. A criticism would be something like, you know, you never put the dishes away. You're so lazy. And the lazy part is a character attack. So you want to just speak to the behavior and say, hey, love, you know, remember we talked about putting the dishes away. Oops, guilty, um, guilty, I'm guilty. And <laughs> the fourth one is defensiveness, which is kind of a hallmark of narcissism. Um, it doesn't mean you're a narcissist, but the, the defensiveness is where, you know, I bring up something to you, Laura, like, um, you know, hey, why didn't you put the dishes away? And you get really pissed and start coming at me defensively. I always put them away. Why don't you put them away? Yeah, exactly. I'm good at that. (laughs) I have experience. (laughs) Right. And so those are the four horsemen of the apocalypse that, you know, can tell you where your relationship is not on a good track. And are those workable? Are those workable from a standpoint? If you recognize one of those traits in yourself, is that something like we said earlier, you can be mindful? I think everything is workable. Yeah. Okay. As long as you're conscious of it. Ways of being at any age. Gotcha. That's so that's hopeful. Yeah. So even couples that are listening right now that are thinking, geez, that sounds like us. There's still hope for them. Right. There's hope. Uh, John. 20 years ago, I used to stonewall. (laughs) 20 years ago. At least you learn from yourself. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's and the point. Uh, John, in an, another video you posted, you mentioned that people in successful marriages turn towards one another 86% of the time, while couples who wind up divorced turn towards only 33% of the time. What do you mean by turn towards? Yeah, and that's more research by Gottman. Um, it's, it has to do with bids for attention. Um, and it's, it's a really simple idea that's really powerful. And the idea is that we are always, as human beings, trying to get the attention of other people. That The idea is that time and attention are the currency of relationships. So, you know, let's say you come home, or let's say it's in the morning and you're having breakfast. This is a really 1950s example, so forgive me. But let's say, you know, the wife's making breakfast in the kitchen, the husband's reading the newspaper. <laughs> this is so leave it to beaver. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the, the wife says, hey, honey, did I tell you about the Johnsons? That's a bid for attention. She's attempting to get his attention. And, you know, there's three ways he can respond to that, positively, neutrally, or negatively. So a negative interpretation or a negative response to a bid for attention would be something like, you know, ah, leave me alone. Like, I'm, can't you see I'm reading the paper? Um, a neutral response is to just ignore it. Like, you don't hear it or you just don't respond to it. And then there's a positive response, which is, you know, you put the paper down, you turn towards her and you say, no, you didn't tell me about it. And what they find is that in successful couples, those bids for attention are met positively 86% of the time. Yeah. So put your phone down. Put your phone down down there to modernize the example. Put your damn phone down, people. (laughs) The beautiful thing about it is wherever you are on that percentage, you know, maybe you do it. Maybe you respond positively, I don't know, 40% of the time. But just with that simple awareness and an awareness of how important attention is, you can get slowly better at it. Amazing and advice. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is a beautiful thing. And we're going to come right back. We're talking to John Schinnerer about anger and how it impacts our personal lives and relationships on the Dating and Relationship Show. We'll be back. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta. 
from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show. My show regular today is comedian Peter Anthony. We're talking to John Schinnerer about uh, anger and how it impacts our personal lives and relationships. John, you're in California. Yes, I am. How's it over there? It's beautiful. Okay, I want to. I read an article uh, on your website, and you mentioned that having the courage to share your story leads to success. Let's talk about that. I think that's quite interesting. Okay, yeah, it's it's one of the things that I work with a lot of uh, C level executives on. That you know, it, it's always fascinating to me. I remember when I started doing the radio show back in two thousand six. I, I just come out of Berkeley. Berkeley taught me, you know, everything you say has to be based on research. Well, that's not very, you know, it might be compelling intellectually, but it doesn't motivate people to change their behavior. Why? Because there's no emotion involved. And I, I think that emotion is at the heart of what connects us to other people. It's social glue. And it, it's what makes people want to follow a leader, for example. And so I, I work with a lot of C-level executives to practice and hone telling their story at an authentic and vulnerable way so that they can move people to act. And so I, I think that it's, it's at the heart of vulnerability. And vulnerability is basically sharing the not-so-pleasant side of yourself. It's sharing your failures. It's sharing the, the struggles. Um, and it's interesting. I remember doing a, teaching some therapists a while back a class in positive psychology. And I started with this exercise of share a story of you at your very best. And inevitably the story arc started with them at their very worst. And then the story followed them on the path to get to being at their very best, but there's no very best without the very worst. Well, we all go through rough times about that. We're all at our, at some point in our lives, we're all at our worst. I think so. Anyways, Absolutely. And I think that I, we're, we're relatable when we tell our stories and people can relate to us. Exactly. And I, and I think the parts where we share the, the seamy underbelly is the most compelling and the most, it allows us to connect with the most people. So when I share, for instance, you know, part of my makeup's depression or part of it's anxiety. And I, you know, I was doing a stress talk last week and I shared, you know, my first panic attack at Cal. I mean, no one really wants to hear about your victories if they don't know about the struggles you've been through. I shared my panic attacks on Instagram a couple months ago. <laughs> it's true. If, but if you just talk about the things that you've done successfully and the things you're great at, you no come one's off, gonna follow me. Well you come off I'm, like a, a, a butthead, right? Yeah. People yeah, want to know yeah, people want to hear people want to hear struggles. People want to hear Things that have challenged people, things they've overcome, that's, that's human nature, 101. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to do. I mean, I think it takes some courage to do it, especially in public forums. Oh, absolutely. Especially if you're, like you said, like a C-suite leader, or CEO of a company. Mm-hmm. For them to show vulnerability and any, any weakness, uh, that, that does take a lot. That takes a lot of character to do. So, John. Yeah, and yet I think the best stories are good. The best leaders are good storytellers. Absolutely. So, John, what happens when stress and anger go unchecked? Especially when you're going from, you're leaving a relationship and you want to get into another relationship. Oh, I think it follows you in that case. Um, I think that, you know, one of the key skills that I teach to people is that of forgiveness. And forgiveness to me is the best way to let go of that old stale anger that we all hold on to because we're human and no one's taught us any way to let go of it. And, you know, the the key 
understanding for forgiveness is that you forgive not because you approve of what happened to you. You forgive in order to let go of your own anger. And, you know, forgiveness is a daily practice. It's something that you do every day. There's layers to forgiveness, so you've got to forgive yourself for shortcomings that you have or mistakes you've made or times you've hurt people. You've got to work on forgiving other people because other people have hurt you. And I think there's even a layer where we need to work on forgiving God. And, you know, I, I came to that realization a while back. I was a school psychologist. Um, I saw an 11-year-old girl who had been crying uncontrollably for three days because her six-month-old niece had died recently from sudden infant death syndrome. And, you know, I started this conversation with her, not really knowing what I was going to say, because what do you say to that? And it turned out that she was really, really angry at God for allowing this to happen, which at some level makes complete sense to me. And and I think it, it made me realize that there's certain situations in life where we get really enraged and that life is just extremely unfair. And our human mind needs to blame someone for that. And when there's no human to blame, I think sometimes we go to God. And to me, that's a natural dynamic. It makes sense emotionally, but we fight it and we want to suppress it. And I think that to the extent we can go, yeah, okay, I'm mad at God. Like, that makes sense. Maybe I need to work on forgiving God. I think it's a really healthy way to go about it. Now, I think that's all the time we have for today. Uh, and there's so many more questions that I wanted to ask you. So I'm going to consider having you back on the show. I was going to say, we could probably do a five-hour show. Yeah, because I wanted to talk about, you know, where people can get some help. And I know that people can actually go to your website because you have, because I looked at a whole bunch of information on there. And you also have some programs for people to deal with anger. Yeah. So where can people find you? You can find me at guide to self.com. That's G U I D E T O S E L F.com. And I'm also on social media. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, there's guide to self coaching on Facebook. It's John Shin on. Well, you know what? Twitter. How about this? If people follow us on the dating and relationship show on Instagram or follow, follow my personal account, Laura underscore Bellotta, I will have you there. I'll spell out your name properly so people can find you. That would be awesome. Thank yeah. you. Okay. And Peter, how can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, I'm, I'm always there on the Twitter machine. It's at Peter is funny. And, uh, and yeah, uh, swing on by and say hi. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, thank you, everybody. That's all for today. Thank you, Until John. next week. Ciao for thank now. You. Thanks, John. Bye.